Welcome to the Pets Who Thrive podcast, where we cover all areas of natural animal health and challenge what we've been conditioned to think regarding how to raise and keep a healthy pet. My name is Tammy. I'm an entrepreneur and a certified animal naturopath with a passion for animals and empowering other pet owners with tools for creating the healthiest version of your amazing pets. Let's dive in. Hello, I am so glad that you're here joining me today for today's episode. Today, we're going to take a look at the history of pet food and kind of how it started and how we ended up where we are now and really ways that we can kind of shift the way we think about pet food and feed animals who thrive and who are vital And so I want to give you a glimpse into um, a little bit of the history of the pet food industry, uh, first and foremost. I also want to talk about some of the species-appropriate diets for carnivores and the different feeding varieties. Um, A lot of people don't realize that, you know, there's a lot of span between different foods because you have a dry food, you have a fresh food. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, We're going to talk about what to look for in a kibble and what to avoid. And then we're going to also kind of talk about some of the key supplements, like what does my dog need um, in addition to its food? And just a quick overview on what are some steps to just creating and keeping a pet who thrives. So one of the first things I want to talk about is kind of the history of of the kibble industry, um, many people are unaware that it only started about 80 years ago. And it was a means of disposing food products that were unfit for human consumption. And it was controlled by the industry and manufacturers. So human food companies, they ended up having an abundance of grains, um, grain product, byproducts, and meats that were completely unfit for human consumption. And instead of feeding them to hogs, they saw a market in the pet food industry. The pet food industry stated that these waste products were required for good health. And the result was that people found a cheap and easy way to feed their dogs. Message from the pet food industry that was very loud and clear is table scraps, a staple for as long as anyone could remember, are unfit and harmful for a dog. They said that they were incomplete and that processed dog foods were complete and fortified with vitamins. They went even as far to say that giving your dog table scraps could be harmful to their health. So then we look at, okay, so marketing kibble. So this is where it really starts to shift. Kibble was cut into shapes that were compelling to the dog owner And then there were dyes added to the food to make it look natural. So, for example, you see those bags of dog food that have the little red pieces or blue pieces or orange pieces. It makes it appear that those are fresh fruits, veggies, etc., when really all it is is a dyed piece of kibble with food coloring. The bags um, are just amazing how beautiful they are. They make it look like there's all this fresh meat and produce Um, so it, it, it appears that you're buying something really, really high quality and celebrities have even uh, been hired to endorse their products. So we've got a lot of, um, 
people behind the scenes trying to really market this industry. Something that I find so interesting is um, Dr. Mark Morris. He is a DVM and he's the founder of Hills Pet Products, which is Science Diet. So what made him so successful at promoting this food was not the formulation but the fact that it could only be purchased from a vet. So if you think about it, that is such skilled marketing. So it really wasn't that it was such a superior food. It was just, oh, my vet recommends it. So I know it's got to be good, right? So they were skilled at making canine nutrition so complicated that the typical dog owner could not be trusted to figure it out on their own. And another example is look at Beneful. It has one of the worst ingredient panels of any food, yet the ads you see depict that of the fresh meats, the vegetables, and it really couldn't be further from the truth. Although on, if you look at the ingredients of Beneful, one of the top first ingredients is beef, okay? Something else that just to give you a glimpse of is that first ingredient, if it says beef, chicken, another protein, it's also inclusive of its water weight. So, which makes the majority of what is the food is the second ingredient. And in Beneful, it's whole grain corn. And you think about carnivores. They're designed to eat meat, um, bone, organs. You know, they're, they're not cows um, eating corn. So then there's these two organizations um, that are governing the pet food industry. One is the NRC, which was established by the government for independent research. And then AFCO was established by the pet food industry itself. In 1974, the NRC was responsible for developing the protocols for all the nutritional values needed in pet food. And then AFCO was established in the mid-70s. This organization set up by the industry. They set out to change the NRC's testing procedures by shortening the testing periods and making them less rigorous. They took away feeding trials and replaced it with chemical analysis, which has nothing to do with digestibility. What was accomplished with this organization was that it was left to police itself without any government intervention. In 1985, the NRC updated their guidelines for nutrition, making several important changes aimed at finding more accurate ways of listing how nutritious dog food really was after it had been combined, cooked, and processed so that owners could be sure that figures they were seeing were a true reflection of what they were buying. The pet industry gave resistance to the NRC's revision. To date, no serious efforts have been made to implement the NRC's 1985 proposed changes or to even list the food ingredients based on how easily a dog can digest them. In order to meet AFCO standards, this is what to me is could be the most disturbing. It must contain a certain amount of protein, fat, and a list of vitamins and minerals. What is not taken into account is the quality of these ingredients or how biologically appropriate the ingredients are. For example, corn gluten meal 
may be what is making up the large portion of a protein in a pet food. Although this is not an ingredient broken down or used by a dog, that as long as the protein meets a particular number, it can meet the minimum standards. So veterinarians in the pet food industry, the industry goes to great lengths to ensure that vets endorse their products. Many consumers have discovered that most processed dog foods are a kind of junk food made of waste products and cooked for days on end. However, the growing awareness has not changed the relationship between the pet food industry and veterinarians. Schools of veterinary medicine typically offer one nutrition class with the textbook written by pet food manufacturers. Veterinarians are taught to tell their clients that only processed dog foods are scientifically proven to meet their nutritional needs. Can you imagine if this same philosophy applied to the human medical system in which doctors were taught to convince people that processed food was not only beneficial, but necessary? So I want to share one story with you. And I know this was back in the 80s. One of my friends who or colleagues went to um, veterinarian school. And she tells this story about, um, I think it's just very compelling, about what the nutrition class looked like for them um, when she went to vet school. And what she said is, They went outside, and these three beautiful, shiny semis pulled up. One was Hill Science Diet, one was Purina, and one was Royal Canaan. And they walked into these semis, the trailers, and they were just like the most shiniest showroom um, you could ever see. And every single one of them were handed a beautiful, glossy marketing manual. And it had a description of if the dog has this ailment, then you feed this food. And then they were also given um, endorsements by those companies. They were given a lot of free food, um, lots of perks along with, you know, trying to sell the food, um, et cetera. But she said, really, there was nothing taught to us about the anatomy of the dog's digestive system and some of the enzymes that they have or lack. It was more about selling a particular product. So if you look at, if you look at dogs and cats' teeth, you cannot question what they should eat. They have a, a hinged jaw to open wide to make it easy to swallow chunks of whole meat. And it's not designed to go sideways to pulverize grains like a cow or a horse would do. So that also shows that they're not built to digest these things properly. So if you look at a carnivore, they have a short digestive tract. They have sharp, jagged, bladed shaped teeth and their primary food is meat. An omnivore, they have a medium digestive tract. They have flat molars and sharp teeth, and they eat meat and vegetation. And an herbivore, they have a long digestive tract. They have strong flat molars, and they eat vegetation. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the different types of foods and kind of the 
in order of bioavailability. And bioavailability just refers to how well the body uses um, that food. So first of all, raw fresh food is going to be at the top of the list. And then you have several different options within that. You have, you know, some people do it on their own. And then a lot of what people do, and because it's so convenient, is they purchase the balanced raw foods. Um, and like, for example, we have a, a 16 freezers at my store, Bark Avenue, and that is what we sell the most of and specialize in. So we have a variety of different brands um, to choose from because every every one of the companies has a little bit different niche. Um, so that's going to be the top of the food chain is balanced, raw, fresh foods. Okay. Then the next level is going to be like your dehydrated raw, your air dried, freeze dried, some of those options. Um, then you have um, the lightly cooked options. So I'll go through and explain a little bit of those here in a second. High quality canned foods are going to be in the next category. And then really the lowest is going to be a, a high quality kibble. Um, and so we're going to kind of go through some of those examples. So a carnivore really needs in their diet a quality animal protein, which in contains essential amino acids for strong body, healthy coat, and good digestion. Here's the other thing about dogs, and that is that their saliva contains an enzyme it's called lysozyme, and it breaks down all single-cell pathogens like salmonella, E. coli, listeria, which are the things that people fear most. And it's also what veterinarians scare people um, about the most are, you know, salmonella, all the different things associated with raw food. The great thing is dogs have the ability to break that down. The raw food that you would find at my pet store has zero pathogens in it because it is so regulated um, by the FDA. They do, um, they pull uh, samples of food constantly. They go into these uh, facilities where they're made and they're constantly, you know, swabbing areas, they're testing food, um, they're pulling things out even off of store shelves and testing it to make sure that there's no pathogens there, okay? Even though our animals have the ability to break that down, they just don't want that in consumers' hands because they know it's, it's designed to be fed raw. However, if you were to go to the grocery store and you pick up some chicken today at the grocery store, it is going to be covered in bacteria, covered, and you're touching it. You know, and again, um, some people feed that to their dog. But when you buy food in the grocery store, it is designed to be fed as cooked. So there, there is less um, controls on keeping that bacteria level down because they know that through the cooking process, that bacteria is going to be killed. But if you think about it, a lot of people do feed that to dogs and a lot of dogs do okay on it um, because they have the ability to break down those um, the bacteria that's in there. The other thing that dogs have is an industrial strength stomach. 
Strong hydrochloric acid allows them to fully digest the protein, bones, and fats. Um, it also kills germs and stops them from multiplying. And dogs le- need little to no carbohydrates. The dog food companies want you to believe that grains are a good source of protein, but the fact is dogs do not have the anatomy to digest and make use of protein from carbohydrates. In fact, dogs are able to convert protein and fat to glucose for energy. So what does a balanced raw diet consist of? It is comprised of a balance of muscle meat, organ meat, and raw meaty bones. And so organ meat should not exceed maybe 10%. Some diets have more. Um, Again, every raw company has a little bit different niche. Um, But in general, not more than about 10%. Raw meaty bones should comprise about 40 to 50% of the diet. And that helps with obtaining the calcium-phosphorus balance. Many times what I see is um, people who try to feed raw on their own will just put out some raw hamburger meat or raw turkey meat. And those sometimes are the most dangerous ways of feeding because you're not giving the dog everything they need. They've got to have that calcium for proper bone um, structure and health. Um, The organs are filled with amino acids and vitamins and minerals that they can't get from just the meat alone. So just know that, you know, every now and then, sure, you can you can do that, but know that over time, you've got to have that balance of the bone and the organ meat. So what are some of the benefits of feeding a balanced raw food diet? First of all, dogs thrive. They just do. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that because I experienced it with one of my dogs. Um, he was a 13-year-old Border Collie who had tons of energy and was, you know, he did agility, he did Frisbee competition. He was a great dog. Um, and so I thought he was doing great. And so at 13, is when he was 13, is about when I opened Bark Avenue. And I had some people talking to me about... Um, raw food. And I was like, yeah, that's fine and everything, but he's doing great. You know, we're fine. Anyway, I decided to give it a try. And I'm telling you, I could not have been more amazed. He really, it's like he went from really doing great to thriving. And and those of you that have seen that transformation, you know what I'm talking about. And then he lived um, just like a month shy of till 17 years old. Um, and he was doing really good just up until the last few months of his, of his life. So I've seen the difference and I see it every day in my clients' dogs. It's amazing. They'll send me emails. Oh my gosh, they love their food. I've never seen them go after food like they're doing. And all of a sudden, the little senior has, you know, a little spunk now that they didn't have before. So again, dogs thrive. It's what they're designed to eat. Um, it's highly digestible. That's the other thing. When you have, when you're feeding a dog, especially a corn-based diet or a high, high starch carb diet, your backyard or wherever your dog um, poops is going to be filled with humongous poops. 
And, um, and it's because they're not digesting the majority of their food. There's a, they're only getting a small amount of that for their body and the rest is coming out as waste. One of the things that I hear so often whenever people transition over to a raw diet is they actually are concerned. Oh my gosh, her poop is so tiny. What's wrong with her? And I'm like, that's perfect. That means she is getting more from her food than she was before. So it's again, highly digestible. Um, It helps with allergies. So, and part of the reason is because it doesn't have all the carbs in it. It doesn't have um, all the fillers. It doesn't have um, some of the things that continue to exacerbate some of those allergic responses. You have cleaner teeth and breath. That's something that um, is a huge hallmark of a raw fed dog. Um, Like my dogs, they're 11 and they don't have any visible tartar on their teeth. And I feed them a raw diet and have since they were little. Um, They also get raw meaty bones, um, usually about once a week. And that also helps make sure to scrape off their, um, the tartar, but that's a huge one. And their breath is, it doesn't stink. Dogs love it. I mean, obviously it's, it's biologically what their body craves and they usually love it. Um, They also get a shinier coat. Um, That's one thing too I've seen is the transformation in dogs' coats. They go from, they look okay. Again, you, you know, you think your dog's doing good. And then all of a sudden this shine comes and you think, goodness, I didn't even know there was room for improvement. And then quality protein sources. That is so huge. There are so many companies that put such low quality protein sources in their foods. And when you have a reputable raw company that you can trust, you know, a lot of them are grass fed. um, You know, they don't use GMOs. A lot of those, you know, super high quality protein sources. And there are, there are some companies, unfortunately, out there that make raw food, um, you know, that I've heard of that just don't have some of the um, controls in place and aren't as high quality. So it is so important um, to their dog's health. It has balanced natural fats. When you're feeding kibble, um, they have to add in different fats and so forth. And really with raw food, they're getting that balance um, of the fats that they need. They also, the raw food also doesn't have the starchy carbs that are going to feed yeast and yeast is, it's an epidemic um, in our dogs. And a lot of it has to do with the food that they're eating. Natural nutrients and high moisture content. A dog that is fed a dry dog food for every single meal of its life is in a constant state of dehydration. So when we are feeding them a moisture rich food, their bodies are properly hydrated. And that's one thing I hear a lot too, is my dog hardly drinks any water now. Is he okay? And I say, yes, because now they're getting their moisture from a natural source, which is their food, which is how they were supposed to have have it in the first place. Some of my favorite brands and, you know, some of the ones that we carry at at my store, um, Stella and Chewy's um, has been a staple there um, almost since I opened 11 years ago. Um, Answers Pet Food, another fantastic uh, company 
Um, they actually ferment all of their raw food. Small batch, they are huge on sourcing. Um, again, I've done a podcast on answers and small batch. Steve's, they were one of the very first raw food companies. Um, and they do everything with tons of integrity as well. OC Raw, fantastic company out of um, Orange County, California. Tucker, um, human-grade facility, um, great products, highly digestible because of the way it's processed. It's emulsified, so it kind of is a consistency of baby food, making it very digestible. Um, I've heard sometimes there are dogs that just seem to, no matter what, their poop is just a little softer than an owner would prefer. And Tucker's just is one of those ones that when you start feeding it, you start seeing those firm poops because it is so digestible and it has a little bit of pumpkin to help with the um, the digestion as well. Nature's Variety, another staple we've, we've had um, since we've opened. And Bravo, they make fantastic foods, uh, raw foods as well. And the last one is Vital Essentials, um, a great food company with very limited ingredients. Um, I do want to say one thing because I do worry about those people that are feeding raw on their own that may not really have all of the tools to be able to feed it complete and balanced. There is a book out there by Ian Billinghurst um, called Give Your Dog a Bone. And if you need some support um, with to be sure that you are keeping it balanced, that may be a good resource for you. The next level of food is going to be your um, dehydrated, freeze-dried, air-dried foods. And so some of the benefits of these are that they're fresh foods. They don't have to be frozen. So they're convenient, great for traveling, great for even a backup. I always have freeze-dried or dehydrated food um, in my pantry because in case there was some reason I forgot to thaw something out, I know that I will um, have the, the dogs will be able to eat. Um, and all you do typically is add warm water or bone broth or goat's milk, um, to rehydrate it. And it is important that it, that it be rehydrated. It is highly nutritious. It's still very digestible, bioavailable. And as I mentioned, convenient. So some of the examples of some of the dehydrated foods, um, and air-dried foods that we carry at Bark Avenue. And the reason I even mentioned that is because there are, again, a lot of options out there. And I, I really like to vet these companies and make sure that before I recommend any of them, they are top-notch. So some of the examples are Stella and Chewy's, uh, Bravo Homestyle Complete, Small Batch, OC Raw, Vital Essentials, Open Farm, Steve's, and Northwest Naturals. Those are going to be your freeze-dried food examples. Um, and then your air-dried ones, the top three, um, actually, Zewi Peak um, out of New Zealand. Real Meat um, is another great one. And then um, we have a new food that I'm really excited about. It's an air-dried food, and it's called Wisdom by Earth Animal. Again, super convenient. So there's those dogs that um, maybe a lot of people have been cooking um, for, for a number of reasons. Um, again, another 
uh, downfall to cooking a diet for your dog is that you may be missing out on some critical nutrients. And so we carry a variety of cooked foods so that you know it's like it's similar to a home cooked meal, but it's complete and balanced. So you can feel confident they're getting everything they need. So um, some of my favorites are My Perfect Pet. That is our number one selling um, lightly cooked foods. Really great for those fussy, picky dogs. It comes in a lot of different varieties. Open Farm, they make a lightly cooked food. Um, and I mean, it literally looks and smells delicious. Um, Small Batch has a lightly cooked food. And then another one is called A Pup Above. And that one's based down um, in Georgetown. So what are some of the other categories that we can um, go into? One is canned foods. Again, we want to look at moisture content and uh, moisture content is typically high in canned foods. And the more moisture we can get into the dog's diet, the better. Um, One thing I really like about a particular canned food that we carry, Zewi Peak, is instead of adding water, for their moisture, they add bone broth, um, which again, I think is amazing. Um, and it has, there's a lot of variety, a lot of variety within the protein sources, um, depending on which brand and which um, cans you go with. Typically, it's very uh, palatable uh, to our animals. And sometimes those fussy dogs or cats, they need that extra little something um, to get them to eat. Um, it's usually a pretty easy understand, easy to understand ingredient panel. If it's not, um, you might need to be wary of it. And it can be a convenient alternative to home cooked food. Again, typically they're complete and balanced. And then the last one we're going to talk about is kibble. Um, and again, this you know the, it is unfortunately at the bottom um, as far as bioavailability, but some of the benefits of it and why it's such a top seller. Um, across the country is that it's convenient. People love it. You know, you just have a bag there, you scoop it out, you put it right in the dog's bowl. Um, It is a little bit more cost effective, um, of course, because it is, you know, dry. And then the quality of the ingredients, they have to be from trusted resources. And it's cannot speak enough about this. And we'll go into this in just a, a little bit more in a second. You want a large variety to meet specific dietary requirements. So you might have, you know, the overweight dog that you need a lower fat for. You might have the dog who has pancreatitis that also needs a lower fat. You may have the dog who has kidney, um, you know, susceptible to kidney issues or disease. You might need a lower phosphorus. Um, You have the puppy who, you know, needs higher fat. You have the senior who needs lower calorie, lower fat lower fat. So you want there to be a large variety to to meet specific dietary requirements. And then most most of the dry foods are pretty palatable to a large percentage of dogs. So what are some of the hallmarks of a quality kibble? First two to three ingredients, you want high quality named animal protein. And when I say named, I'm really focused on It needs to say chicken or beef or turkey or salmon, um, whatever that is, because if you just say animal, it could be anything. And I mean anything. Um, So first two to three ingredients, named animal protein. 
Um, high meat inclusion. This is another big one. And if you don't know, and if it's not listed on the bag, ask someone. Um, you need a, it to be specific for a carnivore. Um, most bags of dry food have anywhere between 40 and 60% carbs. And the reason that is, is because in order to get the kibble in a certain shape, you have to have a, a starchy carb in order for it to end up in that kibble shape. So when you think about that, you've got 40 to 60% of the bag is carbs, which translates into sugar in our dog's body. And we know that sugar can wreak havoc, um, especially if that's all they ever get. And then quality vegetables, that's the other thing that's important. Um, a lot of dog food companies use the rotten um, vegetables or fruits that you know could not be sold for human consumption. Um, again, you want the ones that actually look like something you could eat. Um, again, that's where you can find out more by, you know, talking to someone like us or, you know, contacting the company. Um, named animal fat, another huge one. You've got to have every protein needs to have a name. Otherwise, you do not know what it's going to end up being. And then you want a reputable track record of the manufacturer. You know, there's quite a few companies out there that have, no, have been known to um, put some undesirable products in our foods. And you just want to kind of be aware of who those are and look at the track record of the manufacturer. So what do you want to avoid in a kibble? The first two to three ingredients, if they are not an animal protein, you need to keep walking. So for example, if it's corn, wheat, or soy, um, that is not what our dogs and, and cats need. So um, definitely not something you want to see. Byproducts. For an example of byproducts are going to be chicken byproducts, corn, gluten, meal, brewer's rice, beet pulp. Those are just a few examples. You want to avoid those. Grain fragments like soybean meal run. Again, byproduct that you do not want in your um, dog's food. And then any ingredient where the animal species is not named, like animal digest, that anything that just says animal um, can include the four Ds. The four Ds are dead, diseased, dying, or disabled animals. And we're talking anywhere from mad cow disease to um, euthanized cats and dogs, roadkill. And again, it's, it's tragic that we even have to think that that's a possibility, but it happens every single day. You want to avoid any sweeteners um, or colors or flavors. Um, I know that there is a prescription diet out there as well that's for kidney support. It actually has added salt. That's their kind of reason that it's a prescription because it makes the dog thirsty because the whole thing is they're trying to get the dog to drink more water because of their kidney. So again, you got to be careful and look at those ingredients, really look at that ingredient panel. And then you want to, of course, want to avoid anything that's a carcinogenic preservative like ethoxyquin, BHA, BHT, um, and then propylgallate. So I'm just going to give you a quick little rundown on one um, ingredient panel that I pulled um, just to kind of give you an idea just based on what we're talking about. Uh, first ingredient, cornmeal. 
Next ingredient, chicken byproduct meal. And it does include white meat, dark meat, liver, and other internal organs. Animal fat, preserved with BHA, propylgalate, and citric acid, dried beet pulp, vegetable oil, dried egg product, flaxseed preserved with BHT and BHA, and then assorted vitamins and minerals. What's most disturbing is this ingredient label is off of a bag of Hills Science Diet adult active formula. So again, we are taught that that is a fantastic company by the veterinarian community, but every single ingredient in here is not something that our, our carnivores need. That's why it's so important to read those panels. So what are some of the key supplements that you want to be sure to, to um, get into your dog's um, diet? One is going to be a really good omega. Um, most dogs and cats are not getting high enough omegas in their diet. And part of it's because the only way to get enough omegas in their diet is if they are only eating grass-fed, grass-finished meats or, you know, pasture-raised, um, you know, chickens or, you know, that they are in their environment like they are supposed to be. And when they're not, which is a lot of, a lot of the, the issues with the animals that are put into the bag of food, um, they're not getting enough omegas. So, you want to use a, you know, high quality, um, possibly, you know, fish oil. And then the other one that I love is a, um, it's actually by Adored Beast called Phytosynergy. Um, and it is fantastic. It's a fantastic balanced omega without being fish related. So it's plant-based. And then digestive enzymes. This is huge. Any dog that is eating a dry food every day needs digestive enzymes added to their food. And why is that? Well, first of all, dogs do not possess amylase. Amylase is the enzyme that is needed to digest starch and carbs, okay? So when you take that enzyme out and you've got a bag that's 40 to 60% carbs, what it's doing is it's overtaxing all the organs and the pancreas to produce a ton of amylase, and it ends up depleting the body of enzymes. So when you add a digestive enzyme on the food, now the body is able to more effectively digest it and get more from that actual food. If you're feeding raw, it is good to also periodically add digestive enzymes to the food. Probiotics. Another one that's critical for dry-fed dogs and also for any dog, really. It promotes good bacteria. It helps neutralize bad bacteria. Um, the thing you got to think about with uh, your gut bacteria, it, it, a healthy gut needs to have some sort of a kind of like an 80-20 mix. So 80% good bacteria, 20% bad. And the bad is needed, but you need more of the good because the good keeps the bad at, at bay. So I like to tell the story about, let's say you were to completely destroy your, let's say you were, you were to completely rip up your grass at, at your house, okay? If you were to, you know, make it to where it was down to the dirt, 
think about what grows back first. It's the weeds. And so the weeds, if they don't have the grass there to keep it, you know, from growing, they're going to take over. And before you know it, you have a yard full of weeds. So think about the gut. If you have the good bacteria, which is the grass, it keeps that bad bacteria at bay and balanced. So especially those dogs who have had repeated vaccinations or repeated antibiotics um, or maybe have yeast issues, those are the ones that are really going to benefit from probiotics. But really, um, all of them from time to time need them. Um, For those dogs that are a little bit um, on the senior side, so seniors are typically considered seven and up, um, they may need an extra glucosamine supplement. um, And it's just good to have as part of their diet um, to help with any of those little aches and pains. And then especially those that have had injuries. And one supplement that I absolutely love, and it's a staple at my house, is Transfer Factor. Transfer Factor um, has the ability to help the immune system recognize invaders. It helps the immune system fight those invaders. And it has has a memory so that if it happens again, it knows what to do. And I actually use that for my heartworm preventative because it my dog's immune system is working at a higher level to be able to do what it needs to do to get rid of that um, that potential heartworm issue. Um, so anyway, that is one that I find to be critical um, in, in terms of just keeping the immune system working at its peak. So in summary, how do we keep a pet who thrives? Um, first of all, species-appropriate nutrition Number one, we know from genetic mapping that domestic dogs share some 99% of their genes with the gray wolf, which is their nearest cousin and ancestor. The diet of a wolf consists of prey. A healthy immune system depends on a healthy diet. So to correct a misdirected course in nutrition, you must feed your dog more like a wolf. And I ask this question all the time to my clients. When you think about that, when you think about that our dogs are that closely related to a gray wolf, would you question for one second what a gray wolf would eat? They're not eating a bag of kibble. They're eating what their body was intended to eat. They're eating prey. Um, And then stop over vaccinating. Um, Think about our dogs have, especially those that have already received vaccinations, think about you know, when you get that postcard or when they say your your vaccinations are due and, you know, all of that, we're so conditioned to go, well, I just got to take them in. That's what's that's what a good pet owner does. However, there is it's not like a reservoir or a balloon of immunity that that kind of deflates over time that you have to refill. What it is, is it is the immunity that the dog received from the original vaccines stays within the body and all of their cells, it's in their DNA. And we have to remember that we're not, there's no scientific proof that states repeated vaccinations are effective or even safe. Um, When you continue to do that, that's when you find the immune system breaks down. And that's when you start having some of those allergic reactions, the icky ears, the the itchy skin, um, and then 
more life-threatening issues like autoimmune disease and, you know, autoimmune anemia, bleeding, um, so many things are associated with over-vaccinations. So again, um, something that I would highly look at, limit toxin exposure that includes, you know, pesticides, lawn chemicals, um, heartworm, conventional heartworm pills, conventional flea and tick preventative, um, household cleaners, um, even even tap water contains a amazing amount of chlorine and fluoride. So even just changing their water to a filtered water can make such a difference. Um, so toxins are a huge part of um, just continuing to beat down the immune system. So we want to try to eliminate those as much as possible. And as I mentioned before, tra- transfer factor is a huge, huge part of Um, what keeps the immune system working so well. In fact, it boosts their natural killer cells by over 400%. So this is um, all dedicated to hopefully giving you an opportunity to look inside the pet food industry a little bit better and really feel like you have some more tools um, to be able to make some of the best decisions um, for your amazing pets. Thanks for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode, share it with someone who may also want to help their pet. You can share it now or post it on social media. Tag me in it so that I can reach back out to you. I'm so proud of you for taking steps to help your amazing furry family member. Talk to you soon.